0: It's the most all-star-studded challenge ever, and this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars, new season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.
1: Welcome to Tuesday Night Live on the Beat, Inside podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Live means It is Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes, inside Carolina's beat writer, inside Carolina's newest beat writer. Those guys are here and ready to go. This is on the beat live. Like I said, sponsored by Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. If you're with us on our YouTube stream, uh, send your questions and all either there or on Twitter or on the message boards. You know how to find us. We'll get to as many of them as possible. We're also going to try to do a few new things on this show to start it off, I'm gonna go straight to Greg Barnes. Greg, uh, this has been an interesting week, and I feel like even though it's just Tuesday night, I figure the I feel like the magnitude of this game coming up Saturday night keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger for North Carolina. Is it a faux feeling or is it a reality for this team?
0: It is absolutely reality. Um, we talked a little bit last week that you coming off of that Virginia Tech game there really weren't many opportunities for North Carolina to kind of state their case. And Hey, the game in Blacksburg was a little bit of a fluke. We just weren't ready for whatever reason, but we are this top 10 team that that we've said we were all off season Uh, because after this game Saturday against Virginia, you've got Georgia tech, which lost to Northern Illinois in their opener. Then you got Duke. You got a by Charlotte, And then you got Florida state. I think everybody knows what happened against Florida State. The 57-yard, not even a Hail Mary touchdown pass to win the game for, what, Jacksonville State? Um, And
1: they planted the flag on Chief Yosciola's face. Yep. Wow.
0: (laughs) Yep. And um, so those are three teams uh, at the very bottom of the ACC. So you can beat those teams as bad as you want and nobody nationally and really nobody regionally is going to say, oh, well, here comes Carolina, they're, they're back. If you don't go 3-0 and in those games, forget it. And so what's left is this game Saturday. And uh, you know, I, I picked this as an upset before the season started. Um, and I think at this point, two games in, that pick look, looks pretty wise um, just because Virginia has looked really good. And they've looked better in North Carolina. Mack Brown has said the same thing. So North Carolina will be favored in this game, but a lot of it is based on that hype and expectation from the all season. And so, yeah, mean, I think this is a critically important game because if you somehow lose this game to the Cavaliers, you have a full month before that Miami game. And that is your next chance to say, hey, we're actually a good team. We're we're actually legit. We're not going to be the, you know, the, the main uh, team. You know, the, the one. There's always like one team that's top ten in the country that ends the season outside of the top twenty five. And if Carolina loses this game, that's going to be the conversation about the Tar Heels for, for the next month. So you want to avoid that as best you can. So yeah, I think this game is huge for North Carolina. Oh, uh, two would would not. Completely knock them out of the coastal race, but it would go a long way in that. Uh, and all of the offseason goodwill that you, that you built up would be gone. I mean, absolutely gone. Uh, and you would need to make a very strong close of the season. So, that not a must win, Tommy, but this is a very important game for North Carolina for several different reasons. Was the Indeed, nine
1: point yeah. spread surprising? That's what I was about to ask you, Gregory. I, yeah. I thought very much so. I was yep. shocked to see it was at nine, six and
2: a half, maybe touchdown, but nine almost. I just,
1: I w- couldn't believe it. Yep. But like we talked about um, with Buck earlier in the week or Sunday on the day after who's Virginia beaten. And I think that is partially for the line maybe, um, or I do guess. you think it's purely on the preseason high?
0: Who is North Carolina beaten?
1: I was about to ask the same thing. <laughs> That's not what I asked, Greg. Answer <laughs> rule number one. Answer <laughs> Buck's the question. comment, Buck's um, comment I mean, on Sunday was they, funny.
0: they beat Illinois, which is a, a power five team. Now is Illinois any good? Uh, they've they got a good Nebraska,
1: coach. But right, they beat that Nebraska. That's just the question.
0: Um, they, they, have a, they have a good coach. Um, but, yeah, w- we don't know. Um, we do know that they took care of business against Illinois. Um, and they've, they've done everything they needed to do. And we, we talk about that a lot, right? Um, you can only control so much when it comes to your schedule. And Virginia had uh, two teams on their schedule. And what have they done in those games? They beat William & Mary, FCS opponent, 43 to zip. No contest. And then Illinois, they beat 42 to 14. The offense no looked great. Uh, the, the defense looked good. Um, so they did what they needed to do and they feel pretty good about themselves. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, you've said all off season, he, he thought this had the chance to be the, the best offense that he's had in Charlottesville to this point, they're looking, looking at it. I mean, they are, <laughs> let's see here. They are averaging. Oh shoot. I just had it. They're averaging eight yards per play and over 500 yards of offense per game. So, yeah, did the, the opponents help with that? Of course, sure. But eight yards per game, eight yards per play, that's, that's pretty stout. That's pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised by the, by the spread.
1: Gregory, when you look at uh, the hype building up, we, we're going to talk about what the players had to say, I guess, just a couple hours ago, um, earlier this evening. Uh, but are you surprised or were you surprised to hear uh, Virginia talking a little smack in the lead up of this game and how do you think that plays in Kenan's football center I, I know the whole state and Greg I want your comments on this as well I know the whole deal is if you need somebody else talking junk to get your blood boiling and you're not in it anyway whatever um, but Gregory your take on that I mean there's no love lost between these two programs and now Virginia is basically saying or at least some people in Virginia are basically saying um, like a certain team in Raleigh used to do that they're just, they're the men in this uh, relationship and North Carolina are the, the little ones. What do you think, Gregory? I mean, I don't really th- I mean,
2: you're right as far as if you need someone else's trash talk to fuel you, then you're in trouble. But I think it just adds to the fact that UNC hasn't beaten Virginia since 2016. I mean, right. So like you never want to lose to a team five times in a row, much less, any more like or four times in a row, much less five if that happens on Saturday and it's your I think losing to Virginia Tech actually will ver- losing to Virginia Tech makes this game even that more important. And some of the players talked about it today, which we'll see here in a little bit, just kind of about the sense of urgency with falling to 0 and two and the Coastal considering that's their probably their most important goal right now is winning the Coastal and getting to Charlotte. Right. I mean, that's everything that's we've talked about in the offseason was, yeah, college football playoff would be great, considering that was that would take a perfect season that would take all these other external factors that don't really play a role here or that you can't control within your football program. But you can control getting to Charlotte because you just take care of your conference. Right. And with that loss to Virginia Tech, that derails things and makes things a little bit more complicated. And as Greg said earlier, if you lose this game, one you have to win six more conference games to just go six and two, but you've got two tiebreakers already you're losing to Virginia and Virginia tech, both of which who could also finish six and two, right? So if the grand scheme of things is to get to Charlotte, this game's a must win. Obviously everyone knows that. And I think the trash talk doesn't really play a factor other than this team doesn't want to lose to Virginia five times in a row. That's just, you never want to lose to a team five times in a row, much less a team like Virginia who has just last year was just crazy and you can't beat them on the road so if
1: you're going to beat them you got to beat them in your own stadium greg what is the deal with mac brown in virginia (laughs) i mean it's clearly not a the coaches don't play the game but between virginia and florida state who will see come to keenan stadium to play carolina in short order what what in the world?
0: that's that's a, a good question, Tommy. I think that's more of a, a fluky thing than anything. Um, but yeah, it's funny how there are just certain teams for whatever reason give give coaches and programs problems. Uh, even if there's coaching changes and you know, the ro- the roster uh, revolves over and you have different players in there, that that's just one of the fun things about sports. Um, I, I typically am of the opinion that. You know, kind of what Gregory said, if you need bulletin board material, uh, then what are you doing? Right. Like Roy Williams always says, like, if if I've got a coach motivation and get you excited about playing for North Carolina, uh, then I'm recruiting the wrong people. However, when somebody questions your manhood uh, and your physicality in a sport that's about physicality. Uh, I think I think you can use that as a little bit of chip on your block. I mean, Virginia Tech was pretty clear that we're going to out physical North Carolina at the line of scrimmage, and guess what? They did, yep. and it worked. And even though, yeah, I'm not convinced Virginia Tech's a very good team. Um, we'll we'll see eventually. Uh, they didn't hence, impress me when Carolina played them, and
2: hence your two touchdown prediction.
0: Yeah, well, and that's a part of it. So maybe I'm just I'm looking for validation there I don't know Uh, but Virginia Virginia by saying some of the things that they did this week uh, I think that is something that the Tar Heels can kind of lean on and be like you know what Um, we know we've got talent we know we have the recruiting rankings and and the programs head in the right direction Um, but what do we do against teams that that try to muscle us around and push us around and, and be tougher than us Because that's that's what this is all about. And Bronco talked about it on Monday. And I I think his point is incredibly valid. He said, look, we can talk about schemes. We can talk about talent. We can talk about all these things. But at the very foundation of what we're trying to do, you have to be physical. You have to be tough. You have to be mentally tough. You have to want it more than the other guy. And if that's not your foundation, then schemes don't matter. X's and O's don't matter. Because you're going to get beat where it matters, which is at the line of scrimmage. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, now, if you've got the talent that Alabama does, it's a little bit of a different story. Um, but when you're talking about teams that are that are pretty even, even though one team may have a talent advantage, if you can be more physical, you're doing okay. I'll never forget, if you go back to 2014, North Carolina had a tough year that year, uh, but they won two games in a row late. They beat Pittsburgh, beat Duke we're going into that NC state game and state's players were talking trash. And like, you know what, if we, if we hit Marquise Williams, uh, we we can mess him up a little bit and we can take advantage and win the game. And we were all like, wait a minute, Mar- Marquise is tough. What's going on here? What happened? State got out to a 35 zip lead. They were very physical in that game and it was an issue. And then your know, Marquise builds upon that and, He actually thrived on physicality the next year he had one of the greatest seasons that a North Carolina quarterback has had because he really elevated his play and was a tougher guy. He actually thrived off getting hit. Um, And so that was a mindset change for for the whole team. And that's one of the reasons they had such a good year in 2015. Um, So I think that has to happen at some point. You know, there has to be a Russell Bodine type player uh, on the offensive line that it's just, you know, you don't want to say nasty, but kind of nasty. Like, it's not going to take crap for anybody. Not somebody you want to meet in an alley you know, after a game one night. Um, and you need somebody with that mindset to really step up and say, you know, what? we heard of this crap all week. We're, we're not going to deal with this. Because if you can match physicality and toughness, well, then all of a sudden, that's what the other team had an advantage in. You know your talents more. And so there's when you get a, a significant advantage on the, on the playing field.
1: A great segue into the topic I want to talk about next, and that's the offensive line. Uh, I think Mike Ingersoll, he he pretty much said everything that needed to be said on the VIP podcast about this. But, Greg, to your point about nastiness and the people you named there, uh, without question the biggest surprise is not the fact that Carolina lost to Virginia Tech, not the fact that Carolina didn't run the ball up and down the field – on Georgia state it's why they didn't and it lies pretty squarely on the offensive line. My question is why? And, and to that end, are we finding out that maybe Javante Williams and Michael Carter were more elite than we ever could have imagined? Or is this offensive line regressed since last season?
0: I think it is a fascinating topic, Tommy. And, uh, I don't know that we, we have enough data at this point in time to, to make a, a firm uh, decision on that. Were Javante Williams and Michael Carter special? Yes. yes. We knew that, but I, but I think, and I, I'm part of this as well, uh, I think we assumed because the offensive line had all these, all these returning starters back, uh, that while not necessarily a plug and play, there would be a drop-off but it wouldn't really be that significant Um, and that the offense would would chug along and, and maybe not be as good as last year's, which was greatest in school history, but would still be really good. And there's still time for that to happen um, as the young guys come along, especially at the skill positions. But all that was predicated on the fact that the offensive line was this legit group, one of the top offensive lines in the ACC, possibly nationally. Um, And at this point in time, there's no indication that that's the case. So the concern for me is, and you know, I, I encourage anybody who's interested in this, this topic to go listen to, to Taylor, Taylor's podcast with Mike and EJ because uh, Ingersoll really did a good job of kind of addressing some of the issues. Um, but what concerns me most about this is this group has played together for the better part of three years. And there's been a lot of guys behind them on the depth chart that have been around and that have played and snapped. And those are guys that should be ready to step up. And one of the things that the coaches told us in the offseason, especially in camp, was that you you always kind of want seven or eight guys ready to go. They felt pretty good about maybe having nine or ten. But yet, what do we see in the first game? Um, awesome Richards, who's played primarily at tackle, has moved inside to try to get Zudu some, some snaps at a left tackle. Which didn't work. Which didn't work, which is a little strange. Uh, and then last game, uh, Kieran Johnson, who struggled a little bit against Virginia Tech, who's played center all camp because Brian Anderson was was out. Well, with the Zudu out, they move Richards back to tackle and they slide Kieran Johnson over to guard to start. And he, he rotated with Ed, uh, Montillas. So, where, where are all these other guys that, you know, the William Barnes and Jonathan Adorno and all these all these guys that have, have been around for a couple of years, why aren't they ready to, to take the place of guys who are maybe struggling a bit? And to me, that's the biggest question. And yes, I get it. You know, Brian Anderson is the heart and soul of the offensive line. You need him. Communication was better against Georgia State. That's a big part of it. Azuda is your best offensive lineman. He missed Georgia State. That's part of it. But if we're at a point where one guy is not able to play – And the offensive line takes a significant step back. That's not good because offensive linemen miss games quite a bit, or they're banged up quite a bit. And you should, at this point in time, you should be able to sub somebody else in, and there not be much of a drop off. Uh, And so, for me, that's that's the biggest head scratcher. Is uh, you know, understand the injuries happen, but where's the depth? Where's the guy? Where are the guys that can step in and make sure this thing chugs along? Because uh, if this is not solved quickly, I mean, you, you can get some of these guys back next year, but McKeithen and Tucker and Azudu, those guys potentially are going to lead. And then you've got a huge question mark for next year. So.
1: And Gregory, three let, names, me, uh, let, let me, let me, let me ask the question, because I know you've got a great point you're about to make, but Greg, you said, where's the depth Gregory, where's the coaching? I'll just say it like it is. I mean, it, it, something's going wrong, and I agree with you, Greg. I don't know if we're at the point where we know 100% why yet. I think we all said after Virginia um, we would know where this team was. But, Gregory, your take?
2: Yeah, it's just – I don't know. I, I understand that the offensive line has not been good these first two games. But week one, you don't have Anderson. And that was a noticeable difference in week two. And then week two, you don't have a Zudu. So, and I think that matters, but I understand that they've also, these guys have played together and they've dealt with injuries in the past and blah, blah, blah. So as far as the coaching, I think you have to look at why William Barnes, who they like, and I mean, he played 21 snaps against Georgia Tech, Why is he down? Why is he downfield on pass protection? Why is he that far downfield? Right? Things like that. That's where the coaching comes into play of this guy's not a freshman, right? Does he play as much as the starters? No. And so I think what we didn't see the last, I I compare it to this we didn't see the first two years under Bateman was he wasn't trusting his depth. It wasn't really there, but still they talked about trying to build depth, trying to build depth. Where to build depth, those guys have to play. And they weren't playing and we're seeing that exact same thing happening with Searles and Longo on the offensive line. Now you can't tell us that you have nine guys that you trust and then only play six, right? Because if you do trust them, then then they're not playing. They can't. So then when they, when they do come in, right, they're going to make those mistakes. They're going to be downfield. They're going to be blocking the wrong guy. The three names switching that come up with depth, Barnes, Adorno, Caden Baker, William Bards played 21 snaps against Georgia State, 11 run block, 11 pass block. He graded out 57.6 in the run block, 77 in the pass block, much better in pla- pass blocking. And he came in kind of in the tail end where they're running the ball more. So I think the run grade speaks more. But with Baker and Adorno, they weren't any good in the run blocking either. So I think that kind of plays... They only played 10 snaps each, but they graded out 65 and 53, right? Which is average and below average. So even in small sample sizes, they haven't looked the part to come in and play against the Virginia Tech when your starters are getting manhandled. So I think it's just, I don't know. I We will know more about this offensive line against Virginia, but that's just kind of where I stand. The offensive line really goes back to they haven't had Anderson. They haven't had Azudu, but then the depth also – yeah, maybe you play them, but when they have played, they haven't looked any better than the guys who have more experience. And so I think you take experience over that when the depth, the backups haven't looked good.
0: And let's be clear here. If North Carolina is able to win on Saturday night, regardless of how they do it, they would improve to two and one and be heavy favorites to be five and one entering that Miami game a month from now. Um, I think everybody would be ecstatic about that. And what's important about that is we talked before Virginia Tech, we talked after Virginia Tech about, and Mac Brown's talked about this, the importance of having a somewhat of a, an easy game to start the season so you can kind of work into things. Carolina didn't have that, of course, but they did have Georgia State. And as I laid out earlier, when you're talking about Georgia Tech and Duke and Florida State, while those are ACC teams capable of, of pulling an upset, a lot of things have to go right for those teams and a lot of things have to go wrong for UNC for those games to, to be nail-biners. Um, we, we saw what happened last year in Tallahassee, of course. But North Carolina can get dramatically better, and they will, whether they win Saturday or not, over the next month. Um, and, and so, you know, I think a lot of people just, just are concerned where the, the team is right now, especially the offensive line. You get those guys back healthy, uh, they're going to get better. They'll, they'll be okay. Will they be good enough to kind of get to where we thought they would be? You know, we'll have that conversation as the season goes along. Um, but, but some of those depth questions for me will remain until we see those guys start to play more, kind of like what Gregory's talking about. But that's why this game is so important. If you win this game, And you can still have these conversations, but you're talking about a team that's just stacking up wins. Whereas if you lose this game, now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, they wasted this opportunity uh, and they're going to get better, of course, but it's probably going to be too late.
1: Let me uh, jump to depth and and another question. And we've got Twitter questions coming in, chat questions coming in. Uh, Greg and Gregory. And Gregory, I'll come to you first. One two guys that a lot of folks want to see more of. And again, it's game three. So, I mean, there's only so many snaps to go around. Uh, Caleb Hood, Morales at tight end. I think Morales, yes. I think we'll see a lot more of him as this progresses, maybe even Saturday night. Um, Start with Caleb Hood, Gregory. Does he get more run um, than he has behind Ty Chandler? I don't don't know, because if there was
2: a game that we were going to see him a lot, it was going to be against Georgia state, especially with DJ Jones out and they played British Brooks and Josh Henderson, just as much as they played Caleb hood. I'm trying to see snap counts here, 17 snaps.
0: How did he grade out on run on like pass blocking Caleb hood? Yeah.
2: 52.9. There you go. So the answer is probably not, not against Virginia, depending on the score. And depending on factors, I think Ty Chandler might be the only really guy you see on Saturday. I mean, you could see if DJ, depending on DJ Jones's availability, right? Um, they're still they still said they were evaluating them. Um, some of the guys that missed um, against Georgia State. So as far as Caleb Hood, if he can't pass block, then he's not going to get on the field. I mean, Longo and Mac have made that very clear when it comes to running backs. So. So that's your answer to the Caleb Hood question, in
1: my opinion. Absolutely, Greg. I agree wholeheartedly with that, especially when the offensive line's having issues, but your take there on that position.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think you have to lean on Ty Chandler just because he has that experience. And as much as you want to get Caleb Hood, uh, Kamara Edmonds, and some of these other younger guys some opportunities, again, this goes back to what we are talking about earlier. If the offensive line was what we thought they would be, then it really wouldn't matter what running back you put back there because they're going to get opportunities. There's going to be holes. They'll be able to build confidence, but because there's so many struggles with the offensive line right now, you've got to make sure you have a running back in there who can pick up a blitz or pick up, you know, a lineman or linebacker that comes through. And that's just that's a lot to ask of a freshman. And that's, uh, I think when you have offensive line struggles, that brings to light all these other issues. And so you've really got to make sure that um, if we're going to have breakdowns up front, we've got to make sure we have other protection options for Sam Howell.
2: I was looking at this as far as the running backs. I meant to bring this up when talking about the offensive line, right? Cause I mean, it goes back to Javante and Michael Carter and even Mac said yesterday, maybe Javante was just different, which he obviously is. So I was curious. I was like, okay, what's the yards after contact difference currently Javante and Michael Carter, averaged 4.53 yards after contact per attempt last season. That's ridiculous,
1: right? We talked about this on Sunday and then Ty Chandler's what? Well, the,
2: this year through two games, the running backs are 2.8, right? So, okay. We knew there was going to be drop-off in the running backs. What I don't, what I can't figure out. And what I tweeted about on Saturday, right. Is just like, where's the drop-off in the offensive line play yards before contact, Last year was 3.2, and right now is 1.7.
0: Whoa. Yeah. That, there you
2: go. I was, so it doesn't make, I understand that, and Ty kind of talked about it today as far as like knowing which hole to go through, making that decision, being patient, following your blockers, and things like that. But that's not 1.5 yards worth of content, like, right? That's just point of attack, which obviously Michael Carter and Javante were very good at. But that falls on the O-line, in my opinion, the before contact. And so well, it
1: also reduces the number of players you have to make miss. You know, right? If I'm three and a half yards deep. Yeah, it helps the everything. Scrimmage, I got it. Yeah, it's all connected there. I, I, it has been a confluence of events. How you like that word, Gregory? It's a big word. Don't even know what it means. There you go. Huh? You and your pontification on my language spiel. Yeah, they're all connected. <laughs> Like, we're all connected one way or another. I, I just think that the running game and, and all that's connected to the O-line. If the O-line figures it out, we're not having these discussions about the running game. To Greg's point earlier, um, does Caleb Hood need more reps? Sure, but if he can't pick up a blitz and Sam Howell's getting hit, then you can't well, play him.
2: especially in these RPOs, right? Because if – the and what we talk – obviously, we're getting to clips. We're going to talk about stuff that was – the players talked about Sam and both t- talked about RPOs today, Sam with the RPOs, the running backs know the call and they're playing it as if it's a run, right? Once Sam pulls that they're switching to blocking. And so a guy like Caleb hood, that makes it tougher to think he's getting in the ball. Sam pulls it. And then you're transitioning to pass blocking. That's a part of these RPOs if I'm not mistaken, right? So with a young guy like Caleb, I think that plays a role as well of not even just being able to, one, hold a block, but also switch into blocking gear after rush attack gear that quickly, especially in this offense.
1: Just look at uh, the play Staples broke down after the Virginia Tech game, the RPO um, where the guy was all over Sam right out of the gate. I mean, if Sam hands it or or gives it, uh, whoever the running back was there gets blown up and Sam almost gets blown up. I mean, it, it all comes down to the offensive line. Like like my buddy NBA Bo does on Twitter, it always comes <laughs> back to MJ. This is all coming back to the offensive line. Greg, Kamari Morales and Garrett Walston in that tight end position and Nesbitt certainly, they've got some talent there. Um, I think this is where Carolina, especially Sam Howell, could make some pay against a team like Virginia, against anybody in the ACC really.
0: Yeah, let, let, me, let me say this real quick to kind of help people with the, the RPO stuff. Um, we talk about the RPO slant, right? That's that's a favorite. A lot of the RPO passing options are going to be three-step drops. Uh, and and the reason why is, is what you're doing on an RPO because it is a run-pass option. Um, the offensive line is blocking for a run every time. And the idea is that if Sam Howell hands the ball off or if it's a, a zone retype deal and he decides to keep it, the offensive linemen are already in position to run block. You're not going to run a, a vertical passing play down the field out of an RPO because the offensive linemen are typically going to be getting upfield just a little bit, and that's where you get into some of those knowledgeable receiver downfield situations. That's where you're more likely going to use play action, which North Carolina uses a lot, which is different, of course, than RPO. Um, so there are kind of different elements there with how things are are blocked up. Um, so, so I wanted to lay that out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the tight end situation, Tommy, it's just not really a a, a key part of this offense. I I, wish it was, I mean, this year with some of the struggles, uh, you you would think maybe more so, and it may be a situation where they, they emphasize that more. I agree with you. Kamari Morales, I think it's going to be a star, um, I really like what he can do. Garrett Walson, uh, you can trust him. He, he does what he's supposed to do. He's a good blocker. Uh, he's not the athletic type that, that Morales is or that Nesbitt is. You know, I think Nesbitt has a bright future as well. We saw the, a glimpse of that on Saturday. But Morales is just all over the field, and it really looks like a Eric Ebron-type player. Just, just the speed that he has, the size that he has. We just haven't seen Phil Longo kind of commit to utilizing that position. It's maybe because he hasn't had that type of option there. Um, So how he works those guys in will be interesting. But yeah, I mean, at this point you're, you're trying to, that's the challenge, right? Because you know, what you've done works. He has a long track record of his offense working. So you want to keep running things through and eventually it's going to click, but until it clicks, how much do you divert your attention and try to say, okay, well, even though this is what we want to do, let's change things up just a little bit, even though it may set us back in terms of how long it's going to get us all on the same page. And that's, that's why I feel longer the the big bucks is trying to figure out, you know, from a week-to-week game plan, um, how much do we stick to what we do and how much do we try to you know, tweak things just a little bit out of what we would like to do to, to utilize some better options for this particular game. Um, at this point of the season where you're still trying to work in running backs, you're still trying to work in wide receivers that you know are good players. They just need to kind of get the experience. That's um, kind of a juggling act there.
1: All right, before we take a break and switch over to defense and then clips, Gregory, give me one impact player on the offense that you expect to see break out or have a good game on Saturday. One. One. Emery Simmons. It was
2: Antoine's turn last week. I'm going with Emory's turn this week, um, especially considering he's not ha- – you know he's not happy with how he played against Virginia Tech. Georgia State gave Antoine the confidence that he needed, right? But as far as making an impact, I'm going to go with Emory Simmons on the outside, um, kind of recover, make up for that performance against uh, Virginia Tech.
1: Greg, I'll save you for the game plan podcast I will record – little bit later in the week uh, let's talk about johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com sponsors of this podcast sponsors of inside carolina friends of you as inside carolina premium subscribers you get uh, cheap stuff there if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber because you get 10 percent off and go see them on franklin street they love to have folks in store uh, do what you got to do to get there on game day support them buy all the gear they've got of course basketball season's around the corner but soccer season's in and all the other sports, field hockey, they've got everything you could ever imagine. Um, get you some cool stickers. If you were in the Bowls lot, you saw my uh, fresh cooler in the Bowls lot. It's got some Johnny T-shirt stickers on there. They can hook you up for any of your tailgate needs. Also, sport Blue Shark Vodka. I know a lot of y'all on the, on the chat calling me Tommy Blue Shark. Uh, not yet. Not not tonight. Uh, but Blue Shark Vodka is always a choice in tailgating and also for Inside Carolina folks. And it. It sponsors Ross and Sean Drone's post-game pod, so you should check it out right after the game ends on Saturday night. Take a ad break for the national guys. We'll be right back on the beat live. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Tommy Ashley, right back.
3: Subscribe to Point point forward the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.
1: We're back with On The Beat Live. You like that count, Gregory? One, two, four. One, two, did four, five, see, three.
2: Did you see Ross talking about the type of cocktails he makes with Blue
1: Shark on the show with Sean? Part of, he wanted me to, like, talk about <laughs> them, but I don't, I just drink it. I don't make a lot of. He was like, he's like, I made a blackberry cocktail,
2: a little basil with his whole forest he's got. It was funny. He was like. The game had That's ended cool.
1: like seven minutes beforehand and he's talking about BlackBerry. It made me laugh. I love Ross. That's hilarious. Well, he needs to bring some of that to the bowls lot. You know, he came down and hung out in the bowls lot for a minute. Um, didn't play any flip cup, Greg, you're up. You're up Saturday. Uh, flip cup competition. Uh, I don't think I've be. ever
0: played flip cup.
1: Well, we, taught years. A, we
2: taught a 10 year old how to play last weekend.
1: We can oh, teach Lord. you. Hey, for the record. He did not touch any of the beverages. He did not. His daddy handled that portion. Uh, God, Gregory, we got to talk about this stuff before we run it on live. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the defense. We're here on the beat live. Uh, and and as if, if you're listening to this and you don't know, come see us at Inside Carolina Live with Joey Powell and myself. Three hours before kick from the Bowls lot, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall will be there, be giving out stuff. What's free this week, Gregory? Do we know? I mean, we'll have – more hats, koozies, cups. Yeah, but the first week we had a.
2: Uh, oh, you're talking the, about like Javonte the giveaway? Jersey and that's up Sam to How- that, Joey pulls those out of his attic. Like he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have no idea. So that's always a surprise.
0: He, he has a collection apparently. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can
2: get him to bring better. some of that high dollar stuff. And, uh, Someone brought up Ross again and said the Ross question about why Kobe was starting over seventh is his all time favorite. And that was my first ever press conference, and that was just if do you remember that, Greg? I do not. It was my sorry, quick. Uh, I don't even know what it's called here, but tangent,
0: segue, yeah. We first ever segway, tangent, because right. we're
2: talking about Ross. First, this ever – this is when
1: I would go get a drink. By
0: yeah, the way, go
2: for go it. Ahead. My first ever press conference as an intern. Right, I'm a junior. I've never been this close to Roy Williams in my entire life. Right. And I'm Williams. sitting down. It's after the exhibition game. Kobe starts over seventh. We weren't expecting that, right, exhibition game. We just weren't expecting Kobe to start. Ross asked the question, um, so Roy, why why did Kobe start over seventh? Was it because Kobe played better in the preseason and in practice, blah, blah, blah? And Roy goes, no, I started him because he played worse than seventh in the preseason and everything. And he said in a very sarcastic tone. And Roy was like, sorry, I'm not making fun of your question. And then he goes, wait a minute. Yes, I am because it was a stupid question. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm never, I'm never asking questions. I'm, never, I'm Ross, who at this point is my boss, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm never asking a question if he's talking to Ross
1: like that. You better step up and bring it. That gets this out. Whoa, Greg, nice, yeah. I'm just gonna finish it since it's almost empty. This was a gift, by the way, so I didn't pay for anything. Uh, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball, Greg. Tell me why Power Eccles was one of the press conferences today. That is odd, right, to have a um, second or even third string guy coming out, talking to the media, even though he played really well on Saturday. Tell people how that happens. I disputed this on the boards earlier. I know, but Greg's been around. He's your boss now, Gregory.
0: <laughs> well, look, the, now the football team does not have the same situation uh, and, and protocol that the basketball team had for so long where you know, freshmen weren't allowed to talk. Just typically, uh, you wanted to make sure they were ready before they were able to talk to the media. But they, you know, Power came in and rah came in, in in January and just really impressed everybody with, with their talent, their work ethic, their mindset. Um, they wanted to learn. They wanted to get better. And, I mean, we've heard nothing but good things about those kids. And you can kind of see, I mean, we were able to see in the spring, especially we didn't get to see them much in, in training camp. Um, but they're going to be players. Is this is going to take them some time to kind of work in. And you, know, they get into the game on Saturday night and uh, Power makes a great play and, and gets an interception and uh, was very nimble on his feet and almost kept his toes in going down the left sideline, but just stepped out. Uh, but really kind of a, an electric play. And that speaks to what he's going to be eventually. And, uh, I think because of how hard he's worked and because he's been such a good team player and he's done what the coaches have asked you know, North Carolina was, was you know, willing after he played to, uh, set him up to, to talk to the media, which was good. And uh, he was a good interview today. It's, it's always tough to get, have your first media availability, especially when you're standing at the podium and, and talking into TV cameras, kind of how it was set up with zoom. So, um, yeah, it's a good story. To, like, again, we know where this program's headed talent-wise, right? We're not going to be talking about depth and talent and all these things two or three years from now because this team will be stacked. We're just in that transition period now where you can kind of see the the glimpse of potential, uh, and eventually that's going to be the guys that are playing all the snaps, and, and UNC will take significant steps forward.
2: I mean – Never mind. I completely forgot what I was gonna say. Oh no, Man, oh no, I remember. I, was sitting I, remember. Here. I, was, I remember I was I remember. reading
1: the compliments. Uh, <laughs> talking about how far Gregory's come. And and by the way, seriously, you were you were solid Saturday. Um you saved the day there on pregame speeches, even though I like mine better on uh Saturday in the Bowls Lot. But go ahead, now that you've regained your consciousness.
2: I didn't I didn't clip this one, <laughs> but it's talking about power and being impressive on Zoom in his interview. I thought it was interesting just asking about his first game and just kind of his first two games, getting his feet wet. I guess he didn't play against Virginia Tech, but his first game and the noise and all of that. He said, once you're on the field, right? He equated to once he was on the field to high school ball because he crowd noise, obviously it was a home crowd and a home noise, but still it was just like, it was just high school ball out there for me. I was just playing with teammates. I just did what I knew what I was doing. And that with when you have talent like Power and Raw and Javari and these freshmen that come in, once they're on the field playing, if they have that mental ability to just kind of block everything out, then it really is like you're just playing football with your brothers and your best friends and you can go out and make plays and not have to worry about external factors. And he said that today and it kind of caught my eye because like, he wasn't he said the speed and the size was different, but. Once he realized that it was just football, he was just like – honestly, he was like playing high school ball out there. Obviously, it was Georgia State, right? But still, I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest deal is you hear about these guys is how it slows down and you sort of lose yourself. And that's what we talked about so many times over the course of these podcasts over the years is guys playing on instinct rather than having to think about it. And if you get people like Echols and Ra-Ra Dilworth and all those guys – and JQ playing on instinct and not having to worry about painting by the numbers, then the you know, sky's the limit. Greg, speaking of that, somebody on, on Twitter or, or the chat asked about Dante Balfour. Um let's have the storm duck discussion. With Day Day Holland's out, I think he was playing really well. He was much better than he was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes down. Hate he got storm him. yeah, and, and that's, you know, that progression, that's the defensive backs progressed and got much better over the course of the summer and spring and all that. But uh, where does Carolina turn here? We've talked about Storm Duck a lot, and Storm Duck has seen the field, but he hasn't stepped on it yet, uh, at least according to my look at the, stat, uh, the snaps. Does Balfour get a chance? Does Duck, is it his turn now or is his time? What, what happens with Hollins
0: out? Well, I think you, you lose a guy, obviously, that Jay Bateman really had trust in. And as, as Jason Staples laid out very well uh, last week, cornerback's one of those positions where you, you have to have a hulse, especially with what Jay Bateman wants to do. Um, as we saw against Virginia Tech and we saw a little bit last week, uh, you've got guys like Tony Grimes and you've got Kylie McMichael uh, and Day Hollins, who he really – He really trusts to put on an island. And if you can put guys on the island at cornerback and trust them to do their job, you can do a lot of different things with the other guys in the middle of the field. And so, yes, you can bring in a freshman like Balfour or maybe even Obi Ekbun or some other guys. But are you going to have the same trust level with those guys? I would say not. I mean, uh, Tony Grimes, it took him a while as a true freshman, even though he's a five-star kid who came in early, it took, it took him a while. while. Yeah, it took Storm a while. Right. Um, and those were kind of elite guys. And so you can bring them in and play them, but it you have to protect them with your schemes and that, that changes up kind of what he had planned coming into the season uh, in terms of schematics. So uh, yes, you can bring those guys in and bring them along, but it is going to be a situation where it limits what you can do. And so maybe what you will see um, is as you get past this week and you get into those games against Georgia Tech and Duke and Florida State where maybe you can build sizable leads, well, then you can put some guys like that in and give them some reps, see how they come along uh, without feeling like it's going to turn the game on one bad play. Uh, and so, yeah, they've got some talent at that position, but there's only a couple of the guys they have right now that they, they really think can do everything they want them to do. And so I suspect they'll ride. I think Michael and Grimes pretty hard. At least until Duck, Duck comes back, whenever that is.
1: Yeah, we don't know. It's bizarre. Let's just call it what
2: it is. It's very bizarre. But I think if Storm's not playing, it'll probably be Ob rather than a freshman.
0: Agreed. Yeah,
2: they like Ob. Uh, by they, I mean Jay, and he played well on Saturday. So, I think coverage grade wise, he's yeah he's fifth.
1: So, I mean, he played what, fourteen uh,
2: snaps, but
1: he's still fifth what, on the team. What about the Conley injury? I mean, he came back in. um, We've heard from Pops that he's fine. He'll play. But uh,
0: it limits your ability to make interceptions, right? But beyond that, I don't think it's.
1: Yeah, it's not like
2: Charlie Heck blocking with a club where you're just like engaging. You can't grab. But
1: so, yeah, that's true. So with Conley on the field, somebody asked the question. um, And again, it's probably better for tomorrow. um, Podcast. So who covers Virginia's tight end? I mean, that's Conley, right? Or is that Asante or one of the younger guys? Or do they do that with Gimmel? I mean, that—that that is – so that was my concern Titans early in the nasty. Virginia Tech game. Early in the Virginia Tech game, they schemed the linebackers out of position. Virginia's going to try to do the same thing, Greg. And, and we can talk about more in depth tomorrow. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to rely on guys to make one-on-one plays against – a beast for Virginia, for, I started to say Virginia Tech, but for the Virginia Cavaliers, and you know Brennan Armstrong's going to target the guy. So what happens there?
0: Well, what, what North Carolina and what a lot of teams are doing is playing the, you know, kind of a nickel set. North Carolina showed a dime package uh, on Saturday with, uh, you know, Morrison and Chapman on the insides at the nickel and dime. Uh, and so you'll see that, you know, Virginia does a lot of creative things that, that we can dive into. Uh, but Woods, you know, being a tight end, had a lot of success on Saturday against Illinois, kind of over the middle. And of course, you're not going to put a, a cornerback on that type of guy. So it does. It comes down to: are you gonna you gonna put a nickel back on him, Are you really going to use your linebacker? Are you gonna, you know, are you going to bring up your safety in Conley and let him guard him? I doubt it. So I think it's really more of kind of a. It really depends on you know if, if Jay's going to stick with his man schemes. Uh, because you know, Virginia uses a lot of two tight end sets, then maybe you can use a nickelback to kind of help there. But then you're talking about a size disadvantage. So initially, without diving into it too much, you'd have to say that's going to be a linebacker situation. Cedric Gray. Uh, or I mean. Size-wise. Size-wise, right. But, but Gimel or uh, you know, Sante is going to have to kind of check him. Because he was – the guy's big and fast. Uh, I mean, he's going to be a problem. And so Conley, yes, has the physicality and the size to kind of deal with it. You're just not going to bring up a safety and necessarily put him in a man-on-man situation with a with a tight end uh, on most plays. This is this is not going to be what you want to do, especially with Virginia wanting to run the ball the way they do.
1: Gregory, impact player on defense Saturday night. Mm. Man, you literally put the question on there. You should have known it was coming. Tony Grimes. I think it's going to be Tony
2: because with, especially with scrambling quarterbacks, he has watching Tony. I think he has a great vision and switching from pass coverage to understanding it's a run and getting there. And especially with Armstrong getting to the outside, we know this UNC can't cover rushing, scrambling, running quarterbacks. It's just the front seven just hasn't been able to set the edge on those guys. They couldn't on against Virginia tech and I'm not expecting them to this weekend, which is why I think Tony Grimes is going to, make a, going to have to make a lot of tackles in the secondary, that with his coverage, that's why he's my pick.
0: Yeah, and Tommy, let me, let me add this. We're talking about cornerbacks and about potential backups. Um, North Carolina, because they have cross-trained, they do have veterans who have played cornerback. Trey Morrison played cornerback for an entire year. Uh, Don Chapman uh, practiced at cornerback and is playing nickelback now. Uh, so I, I kind of think that you know, if, if something happens where they need to put in a, another cornerback instead of going with a freshman, you know, maybe they would lean on a Trey Morrison and just bring Gio Biggers in at safety or Cam, Cameron Kelly uh, so you don't have as, as big of a drop off in terms of experience at, at the cornerback spot.
1: All right, so what we're going to do on this section of the podcast as we close up, we're going to have a little fun with Gregory dropping some clips from today's player press conferences, and then we'll talk about them on the other side of them. So, Gregory, I'm going to let you take over the uh, technical aspects of it because, brother, I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who do we want first? You pick it. You pick it. We'll talk about it.
2: Mm, All right, we're talking defense, so I'll pull up Powers' clip talking about question here was is there a sense of what's the sense of urgency like in practice um as far as discussion of can't go down oh two and conference play this oh this was let me share this this was his answer can you guys see that yeah yep i want to make sure they can see you resume share chat are we all good can you see this do, 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 do. all right cool let's go this is what power had to say about sense of urgency avoiding being down 2-0 in conference play
3: sense of urgency is there just everybody's focused and holding, you know just everybody coming into the film and bringing on film and you know everybody's talking about what's the plan and how we're going to execute the plan and just everybody's focused you know you can you can feel the sense of urgency you can feel how important a game this is to us and, um, all the pride we can uh, take in this game.
1: So he's talking about pride yep. and sense of urgency. And Greg, to that point, that's what we talked about when we discussed earlier the Virginia Tech guy sort of running his mouth a little bit, talking about the physicality and basically challenging Carolina's manhood. When you've got a freshman that has played limited snaps talking about it, it's a pretty solid bet that that comment um, and the, the weight of this week is fully engulfed that Carolina locker room, isn't it?
0: I think so. I think it's important for that to happen. But, you know, as we talked about earlier, um, Bronco builds his program with that being the core principle. Uh, and so kind of what, what Mandy was saying is you know, North Carolina can come out and they can play physical and they can play tough, but they're going to wear out. And they're not going to be able to adhere to that throughout, and so that's the challenge for North Carolina. Um, you know, Mac Brown is is in year three; he's two games in, and so as far as the program has come, he is still in program building mode. And a lot of that is kind of redefining what what the intent is on game day, and it's learning to learning to win was the first thing, right? That's what we talked about a lot in two thousand nineteen. Now it's when you're the favorite. Can you do what you need to do to prove that you are a favorite for a reason? Uh, and this all goes into it. You know, when you got somebody calling you out, and they're they know that maybe they don't have your talent, but they think they can out physical you. You have to rise to that challenge. And so, these types of games and these types of situations are good for the team. Whether or not they win, uh, they're going to learn a lot, and that's that's kind of the key thing here. And that, as you said, that a true freshman kind of understands that, I think says a lot.
2: Also says a lot about the leadership and what they're talking about in the locker room, right? That it's trickled down all the way. Like Gimel has it in these guys' heads that we're gonna play with pride. Gimel's like, I've never beaten these guys. I've I've never beaten them. And so it's gotten all the way down to power and, and the true freshmen. So I think that says a lot about the mentality of this team going into Saturday. righty, Let's get okay. Let's get.
1: Came in and uh, no, not yet. Um, while well, he's finding one, Greg, what about the uh shirts and the NIL stuff? It's been pretty fascinating to see how that stuff is um sort of become more prolific with player Sam wearing uh zipped up emory Simmons's stuff and seeing Sam's roofing commercial. It's fascinating how it's shaken out in it.
0: It is, it's kind of been slow going, but we kind of thought it would be. Um, and I can't get over the fact that that Sam has been as um, open and helpful with his teammates, m- making sure they have opportunities to, to really join cool. him. It is really cool. And he's set he's up from the get-go. It's not something he's bragged about, but but everything that we've heard and everything that, that we've seen is that he's really doing his part to make sure his teammates capitalize on his success. And uh, that's really all you want from a team leader.
2: All right, so I asked – Trey Morrison today, what he thought the defense has done the best through two games and what they need to improve on the most moving forward. This was his answer. Uh,
3: what we need to work on is I'm going to just start what we need to work on. So what we need to work on, I feel like our angles to the ball in the secondary, I think we can do better with that better tackling as well. But I feel like, um, our defense is doing great on communication. Last year, I feel like some of our communication stuff was was inefficient at times, but I feel like our communication now is just great. Everybody's getting a call. Everybody's hearing what's happening. So if everybody knows a call, I feel like we're just in a great opportunity for that play.
1: A couple things there. Greg, missed tackle numbers. I think they were, what, 15, 12 to 15 against Virginia Tech, maybe only five against Georgia State, so that improved.
2: That is spot on. It's at 17 on the season.
1: And so talk about that and the communication. We, we, we've clearly hammered the communication issues on the offensive line, but the defense, at least after the first couple drives, seems to sort it all out much quicker, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and like Gregory said, when you have somebody like Jeremiah Gimmel as your team leader, especially the leader on defense, that helps. And when you're talking about guys like, Trey Morrison on the back end, and Ray Fahasik on the on the front end with Tamon Fox, you've got veteran guys who have been around the block who understand the importance. And when you have those guys at each level, that's critically important. Um, I think what's most fascinating there is he's talking about angles, and when we start talking about tackle numbers, uh, that's really what the guys are talking about. And the way that the football has has uh, evolved over the years, they don't tackle anymore in the preseason. Uh, just for safety reasons you want to keep everybody uh you know standing upright i mean you, you go through thuds where you kind of pop but you do a little bit of tackling maybe in scrimmages but that's it and so they get into these game situations and they haven't tackled in you know however many months they tackle more in the spring of course because you got time to recover uh but you know, you're talk about four or five months without legitimate tackling and tackling is about angles and so i think uh I think you'll see that improve over the, over the course of the year that the more game opportunities you get, the more you kind of get accustomed. Okay. Well, if I'm going to hit this guy the way I want to, I'm not going to be pulling up. I'm actually going to be plowing through him. So I've got to take a better angle and that, that just kind of comes with it. That is one of the pitfalls though, of, of the, the, I don't want to say it's a pitfall of player safety, but in trying to keep the guys healthy in training camp, you do lose that, that tackling edge that maybe you'd have in the first game, uh, call it rust or whatever but that, that's kind of a part of it
1: that is a is 100%. I mean if you if you don't hit you got to get used to hitting and, and that's what usually happens in those early season games. While Gregory's calling up next clip Greg um I did what Gregory did. I totally lost a great question. Call up next clip. <laughs> All right, well, I've got it. So, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very this is a short clip. Miles Murphy, nice
2: short and sweet interview. Uh, this is his take on UVA putting up 40-plus points in the first two games.
3: And practicing hard, we plan to, like, just shut that down, shut the run down, get pressure on that quarterback, and that's how we plan to win a game.
1: To there the point. And, and that is – that reminds me of my question. Thanks, Miles Murphy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he talks about getting pressure on the quarterback, Greg, but the, the key – to stopping Armstrong and any quarterback like that is getting him on the ground when you have the opportunity, one, and also not letting him get out in the open field. So how does Carolina accomplish that, um, given what you've seen thus far? I think this guy, uh, this guy being Miles Murphy, getting up the gut against Virginia certainly can help that process.
0: Yeah, uh, Virginia returns all five starters on the offensive line, and they return six guys, I think, that combined for – upwards of 130 career starts. It's a, a veteran group that was very good and, and won the point of attack last year. And so we can talk about rotations and depth and all these kind of things for North Carolina in this game. What's going to matter is how the, the best players play. And to your point, Tommy, that's Miles Murphy, that's, that's Raymond Vahasek, that's Taman Fox. Um, those guys have to have big games. You can't be counting on some of the younger guys to come in and maybe give you a splash play here or there. You have to win at the point of attack consistently. That begins with Murphy. That begins with Raymond. That begins with Taman. If that doesn't happen, uh, the Virginia is going to be able to do whatever they wanted to uh, And we hear about the eye candy. They do a lot of misdirection, which gave North Carolina a lot of issues in Blacksburg. And this offense is a lot better than what Virginia Tech had offensively. I mean, the, the numbers for uh, Burmeister compared to Armstrong are just dramatically different. And uh, Armstrong has, has shown that he's improved his passing. So if, if Virginia can run the ball the way that they want to, that's going to give him a lot of options throwing the ball. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Miles is correct. You've got you've to step up. You've got to be able to limit what they want to do running the ball uh, so that you can get them into obvious passing downs. When you do that, uh, Jay Bateman can get creative and bring some pressure even if he has to scheme it. Um, but if Virginia stays ahead of the chains, uh, good luck.
1: You speaking cannot of... have Vernon. Go ahead. I got a I great was... line. Go ahead. <laughs> I was okay. Well, <laughs> I was
2: just gonna say. Speaking of how to stop Brendan Armstrong, this is Cayman Rucker's take. Can I play it? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah
1: yeah, can... yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: My line will fit. He's an athlete. I think everybody knows that he can make plays with his arms and he making plays with his legs. Man, he can run. He can pass. He can do it all. And just for us as a defense, we just got to get him contained. We got to get him under pressure. We got to make him not throw on the throws that he's been making against the past two teams that he's went against. We got to, we got to really apply pressure up front as a defense, because you know, we got to coach Brown always harks on a pass rush, causing pressure in the backfield. And so that's one of the crucial things that we're going to have to do this weekend is just cause pressure to Armstrong to force him to make some crazy throws so we can get turnovers. And also, if he wants to try to use his legs to make some plays, then we got to flow as a unit, all living hats to the ball, and just stop him where he wants to run. Armstrong. Did, he say,
1: did he say all living hats to the ball? That's a great line, if that's what he said.
3: The ball and just stop. Some plays, and we got to flow as a unit, all living hats to the ball. and
1: just- <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. He uh, he sounds like he he needs to be up there in front of the – congregation on Sunday because he is preaching exactly what Carolina has to do. And, and and that's what I started to say. And Greg, I'll let you start it again. They cannot allow Brennan Armstrong to look like Bryce Perkins who looked like Michael Vick uh, or or who looked like Lamar Jackson who looked like Michael Vick. Um, If that happens Saturday night, Carolina's in trouble. Um, But Rucker and his guys seem to understand what has to happen to prevent that.
0: Yeah, so Armstrong, I think there's no question he's a better passer than Perkins was. Yes. Um, he's really developed. But he, here are some troubling stats. And again, we're, we're two games in. Troubling stats. Small sample size. <laughs> I get it. I, you know, but, but Armstrong has been kept clean on 82.7% of his dropbacks. And when kept clean... Um, his offensive rating is 94.6, which is elite level um, adjusted completion percentage in the situations, 78.3%. Is that good? I think it's okay. <laughs> um, he has only wondering. been put under pressure on 13 dropbacks this year. And yes, you know, they played an FCS team and they played Illinois I don't think it's very good. Uh, But I feel like Georgia state probably had near that many against Sam Howell on Saturday. Um, Uh,
1: On Saturday, not just, you know, all season. Yeah. Uh, Someone said that we have a new
2: segment now that we need to add troubling stats with G Biggie.
1: (laughs) I I keep looking. I, I keep seeing roasted nude, but it's roasted made. And, uh, he, he believes into your head. No, I just can't read these small print, <laughs> uh, even against whoever they've played, Greg, to your point there. I mean, 13 pressures on dropbacks. I mean, Carolina's got to have that many Saturday to get this guy off the mark. And if my memory serves the one or two times they got to him and applied some solid pressure, he, he, threw it to the other team last year. Uh, so the question is, you got to have Rucker. And somebody else asked the question over here on the Twitter feed or on the chat feed is, has Bateman being, been holding back as far as doing some of the exotic
0: stuff? Do you believe that this year? I think it's a good question. Um, probably a little bit. And uh, I don't think I'm alone in this, but what we heard all offseason is that uh, he finally had you know, 10 guys who weighed, what, 285 or more. And therefore, instead of us seeing so much of the, the two, four, five that we've seen in the last two years, just because he didn't have many bodies up front, now we would see that, that true three, four scheme um, with Fox and maybe Des Evans at outside linebacker to give you some legitimate options to really get after the passer. But yet, what we've seen on obvious passing downs is he's going with one lineman, and Clyde Pender has been that guy. And then he brings in, you know, Fox and Hopper, or Fox and Chris Collins, maybe, uh, to kind of set up at the line of scrimmage to give them extra pass rushers. Um, it's interesting. So I, I think part of it is is that the pass rush that was such an emphasis this offseason season uh, maybe hasn't developed to the extent that they they would have liked. Um, but you may maybe uh, Jay Bateman is kind of keeping things in his back pocket um I all coaches do a little bit but i mean that was an important game against virginia tech and so i'm a little hesitant i think he's doing too much of that uh, but maybe it's just a matter if he's got some young guys that he wants to be able to lean on but he doesn't want to put them in those situations quite yet i, I do think it's a very good question though and i just don't think we have enough data right now to be able to, to answer it
1: yeah you, that's a, virginia tech was an empty to clip game i think for the program but anyway it's over yeah. and done with let's play sam Howe and then we'll get out of here after this one gregory
2: oh okay um no ty chandler then um we can have ty chandler We've they go together so we have to, to. Okay. transitioning transitioning back to the rpo right this is sam's to kind of describing on his role versus the running backs role in um rps
3: really it's it's not as complicated as you think uh, You know the running back just kind of do their job and if I want to put and throw it, then that's my job to, to initiate that. Um, the running back is just expecting the ball on every single play. Um, and if I see an RPO open, if I see the right the right, I'm looking for it and, and hold and throw it. But the, back, the running back really has no clue um, if I'm going to throw it or, or give it to him. Really.
2: Okay, so that's Sam. And then this is Ty Chandler kind of talking about overall
0: uh,
2: share.
1: Just trust, man, seeing different blocking schemes, how people want to play, um, different tendencies, stuff like that, man. So just dissecting film
0: and seeing where well, we can get better, um, whether it's with footwork or um, just having patience or uh, trust, that sort of thing, and just seeing
1: holes and hitting them. Um, so that's that's what we've been working on. Uh, that's what we've been getting better at. So. Bottom line, running game's got to be better. However it happens, running game's got to be better. But to be better, they got to get more reps, Greg.
0: Right. And that kind of goes back to what we are talking about a little bit ago with the RPO. I mean, the offensive line knows what they're supposed to do. There's no guessing for them. The running backs, as Sam just said, there's no guessing for them. They're expecting the ball every single time. The weight of the decision is on Sam Howell. He's reading the defense as best as he can, and then he's having to make a decision as soon as that ball is snapped. Does he, does he stick it in the breadbasket of the running back? Uh, and does he let go or does he keep it? And that that's really what it comes down to. And so it's not like it's a confusing thing for the offensive line or for the tight end or for the running backs. They know what they're supposed to be doing. So right. that, that's not the issue. Um, it's it's execution. It's communication. Um, it's, it's all these things. And um, as Mike Ingersoll did a good job kind of laying out in the podcast the other night, uh, a lot of it's technique and things that have kind of been popping up, uh, not just the last two games or the last couple of years. That, that's, that's problematic. That, that has to be fixed yesterday. And uh, so all those things have to come together for this offense to really start to click. And, um, again, it, it really is baffling to me. You know, I, I, I don't know if I fell for it or what, but I, I really felt that, yes, North Carolina would, would struggle a little bit early offensively, Uh, just because they lost the the talent at the skill positions. But I really thought with the offensive line being back, with Sam out back there, they would be able to navigate it until those guys kind of got their sea legs, and this offense would be off and running. Um, Maybe that's still going to be the case, but I did not expect the offensive line to be part of that puzzle.
2: And they didn't need to be dominant. They just needed to do what they did last year. But they've regressed, which is shocking to, I think, everyone, including themselves. Yep. So it's not like we were expecting them to be an Alabama offensive line. We weren't. They weren't an Alabama offensive line last year with two of the greatest college running backs that have played on the same team together,
1: right? So, yeah. It's, uh, this game is huge for North Carolina. A lot of great questions on the chat, on the YouTube chat, um, and questions from the boards. We will talk about a plenty of it when Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, and I get together on the Game Plan Podcast. We'll record that tomorrow evening and be up on Inside Carolina on Thursday. Um, One of the questions I'll be asking Greg and Jason is, and I mentioned this earlier in the week, have teams figured out the first options, the first and second options for Phil Longo and for Jay Bateman? And now is it time for those guys to dig deeper into the basket um for their extra their extra options because carolina has struggled the rpos the slants those were money last year they have not been there this year and we'll talk about that much more but this has been on the beat live sponsored by johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com gregory hall has been running the sharing the screen and the youtube chat and all that good stuff greg barnes is always doing greg barnes things bringing the knowledge i'm just host i just come and have a few drinks and talk to the experts and I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, so we will talk to you again soon. Thanks boys.
3: Jeremy Renner returns to paramount plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war.